invite you to join me in God's Word by turning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll look at verses 23 through 28 as we continue to look at living by faith and particularly how these different examples of faith from the Old Testament show us that faith touches different areas of our life, whether it was Abel and, and his worship of God through his offering or or whether it was Noah who had to deal with living in a society of great evil, or whether it was Abraham who had to, to journey by faith on a mere promise that God gave him, and later to, to have to have that faith in the, in the great test that God put him through, or whether it was like the patriarchs Isaac and Jacob and Joseph nearing the end of their life, having faith in, God of the, in the God of the future, having faith in, in what he had promised them in the future. Faith covers lots of different areas of our life. And now we find ourselves uh, coming up to the character of Moses. Uh, other than Abraham, Moses is given the most time here in Hebrews chapter 11. And so let's read uh, verses 23 through 28 and see what uh, the author says to, uh, about Moses. And then we're going to a little later in the message, focus on Moses, particularly from Exodus 3 and 4, and we'll, I'll be asking you to turn there as well. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated, along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. We'll stop at that point and pick it up there next week. But would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, page 90 in your pew Bibles. And just hang on to that. We're going to actually read from excerpts from Exodus 3 and 4, kind of as we go through the message this evening. Uh, so if you just hang on to that. And let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we come to once again explore faith and how faith affects our life, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would give us the faith that we need, not only to hear and understand and seek to live this out, but then the power to live it out in the coming week, to live by faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll come to the rest of the Scripture in just a few moments. But as we see in Hebrews 11, Moses lived a life characterized by faith. As you remember from your Sunday school stories, he was set apart by God at birth and saved while other Hebrew boys were killed. But his life of faith really started with the tremendous faith of his parents, bringing him into the Egyptian world at the risk of their death. Though he grew up in Pharaoh's palace and was given the finest Egyptian training, his heart remained with God's people. 
He decided to cast his lot with the Jews rather than with Pharaoh. And it became apparent when in seeing an Egyptian guard beating a Hebrew slave, Moses killed the guard. Soon, Moses' picture was on every post office wall and his mugshot on Egypt's most wanted TV show. He left Egypt, fled to sheep country, where he waited for God to speak with his plan. What's next, Lord? And he waited. And days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and months turned into years, and years turned into decades. And somewhere along the way, Moses gave up dreaming and resigned himself to be a sheep rancher. And then out of the blue, actually out of a burning bush, God finally shared his dream. Go tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. And no, Moses responds, right, that's a, that's a good one, Lord. Yeah, yeah, a real knee slapper. Uh, God, you're not laughing. Uh, what do you, you, you mean, me? And as we know, Moses eventually returned to lead Israel out of captivity. He could easily be called a hero of faith. But Exodus 3 and 4 reminds us that heroes are just human beings with, with weaknesses, failures, insecurities. God helped him. God helped all of these folks. And he can help us overcome our insecurities through faith. So we're going to go off book tonight. We're going to kind of ignore all of the faith stories in Hebrews 11 about Moses to look at Moses at the start of the call that God gives him and how faith helps us deal with insecurities. So as we look at Exodus 3, verse 1, we find out that it all starts with God's call, with God's initiative. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses... And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Let's stop there a moment. So first, God appears in power. And this must have been a stunning sight. God reveals himself in a a powerful and a miraculous way. And there's no mistaking who this is. And he calls Moses to enter God's holy presence without sandals. That was the posture of a servant before a sovereign. Because where God is, is holy ground. And he introduces himself as the God of the fathers. And Moses hides his face because no one can see God and live. So Moses encounters a a powerful and and holy God. But then in the very next verses, we see something else about God. Look at verses 7 through 10. 
The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God reveals another side to himself. He's concerned with his people. He's concerned with his people. He's compassionate, as we read in, from Psalm 103. He has seen and heard their misery under Egyptian rule, and he wants to rescue them and bring them to the land of Canaan. He's finally going to fulfill that covenant promise he made long ago with Abraham. But then comes the punchline. Moses is going to be their leader. What's Moses' reaction? Well, before we get to that, let me interject a brief story. It's about a young college man studying to be an accountant. God appeared to him in a classroom, not physically, mind you, but a spiritual presence, and issued the call to go into the ministry instead, something this young man had been resisting all his life. He returned to the dorm chapel, shaking, crying, praying. An encounter with the Holy God is a terrifying experience. Has God called you to something that has left you terrified? Moses was terrified. Remember, he had spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court in Egypt and another, another 40 years as a shepherd in Midian, so he's 80 years old. And now God is calling him to do something he wasn't equipped for, to be something he didn't want to be. It's not surprising that he was insecure about a number of things. First, about himself, his own person. Look at verses 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So first, Moses asked, who am I? Or if you read between the lines, he's basically asking, why did you pick on me? Moses felt totally insecure about himself and maybe satisfied to, to end his life as a shepherd in Midian. But he felt inadequate to go before Pharaoh. God answers Moses' insecurity by promising his presence. I will be with you. And Moses had just seen his power. And he gives Moses a sign guaranteeing their release. It's a reminder to all of us who have insecurities in our life that God, by his power, can help us overcome whatever shortcomings we have. That God can and will use insignificant people like us. In fact, I think God specializes in that because then his power shows through our weakness, as Paul says. But Moses isn't done. Pick it up at verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I've promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I'll perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. So Moses then asks, what if the elders, what if the people of Israel ask about this God that I claim to know, what is his name? Then what do I say? In other words, Moses is asking, what if they ask, by whose authority Moses would speak? Why should the Israelites listen to him? And God answers basically, well, yeah, you're right. You have no authority, but I am. His presence and his power will be available to Moses. And not only that, he says, I am the God of your fathers. Reminding them of the prior relationship he had with with their forefathers and the covenant promise made to Abraham that he's now going to fulfill by bringing them into the land of Canaan. And then he notes that God himself will prepare the way with the elders and with the Egyptians. The elders of Israel will listen eventually. And even the Egyptians will be favorably disposed eventually, giving them riches just to go away. And yet Moses isn't quite satisfied. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, Well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord didn't appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. You know what? I always wondered about that. How wise is it to pick up a snake by the tail? Anyway, so Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. 
Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So, Despite all of the reassurances up to this point, Moses poses another question. Why should they believe me? What are my credentials? And God answers with three signs. We talked about it this morning. In Deuteronomy, God would say it's by, by two or three witnesses that a matter is confirmed. Here are the two or three witnesses for Moses that this is God working. He offers him three signs. A staff that would turn into a snake and back again. A hand that would turn leprous and then healthy. And water turning to blood. All of these exhibited divine power. Such credentials could only be God's calling card. But Moses isn't done yet. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant." I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you to speak, and we'll teach you what to say. So still Moses protests. It's not my gift. It's not my gift. He couldn't speak eloquently, nor, by the way, God, you haven't given me the gift of gab while we've been talking. And God asked him, but who made your mouth? And the creator God promises to help him speak. Because you see, God equips whom he calls. We must never forget that. God equips whom he calls. He's calling Moses to break out of his comfort zone. Moses' real problem wasn't the inability to speak, but being uncomfortable with it especially speaking to power like Pharaoh. But Moses has one more shot. Verse 13, But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I'll help both of you speak, and we'll teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Out of excuses, Moses finally pleads, please send someone else. When all the excuses are gone, it came down to fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of sticking out like a sore thumb. Fear of looking like a fool. And probably fear of death. But now God gets a little angry. He says, I, I really don't care what you say, Moses. You're going to do it anyway. And he does it. Successfully. You know, God can really work like that in our lives. That young man in our other story was a whole lot like Moses. Moses. He pleaded, I can't do it. 
He gave all the excuses. I'm not eloquent in speech. In fact, I'm terrified of public speaking. I'm not good with languages. How can I learn Greek and Hebrew? I'm already a sophomore in college. What major can I change to? He asked for every sign in the book. And over the next weeks and years, God answered every one of them. And this young man, yeah, most of you know it's me, was dragged kicking and screaming into God's ministry. God calls all of us to do something for him. And we probably have similar excuses. Whatever God is calling us to do, He may be calling us into a leadership position. He may be calling us into a a, a serving position of someone that we don't really want to deal with. And we say, I'm the wrong person. Others can do it better. It's not my gift. What if I fail? I've tried and I can't do it. You probably heard how circus elephants are often tied to very small stakes, causing you to wonder if they couldn't just easily pull the stake out of the ground and be free. And they could. But you know, the elephant tried that when he was a little baby and, and he couldn't do it. And so he concluded that he could never pull it out of the ground. And so you have this <clears throat> incongruity of a massive creature capable of lifting whole trees out of the ground, held captive by a puny stake. What stake is holding us captive today? What stake was holding Moses captive? Faith in the mighty power of God finally released Moses from his insecurity. What small stake in your life could faith release you from? Jump ahead to chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go. Wow. Here we see a new Moses. Speaking before Pharaoh without fear. Time and again after being rejected. When freed, Moses continued to show faith in the wilderness. Constantly answering a grumbling people, as we read in Psalm 106 earlier, even standing in the breach between Israel and God at one point when God was just ready to say, I've had enough of these folks. Why could Moses do this? William Barclay writes, it's told that before a great battle, Napoleon would stand in his tent alone. He would send for his commanders to come to him one by one. When they came, he would say no word, but look at them in the eye and shake them by the hand, and they would go out prepared to die for the general whom they loved. Barclay says that's like Moses and God. Moses had the faith he had because he knew God the way he did. When we come to it straight from God's presence, no task can ever defeat us. Our failure and our fear are so often due to the fact that we try to do things alone. The secret of victorious living is to face God before we face men. There's real truth in that thought. There is no such thing as a hero of the faith. Inside, we're all weak, insecure, fearful people. 
when God calls us in Jesus, we tremble. We make excuses. We say, I can't do it. But in his grace, God, as he did with Moses and that young college student, drags us kicking and screaming into the faith and into his service. Where is God calling you to go by faith today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that it's ultimately not the strength of our faith, but the strength of your faithfulness and your love for us that we can face life without fear, that we can face challenges and opportunities with the knowledge that you go ahead of us and you will equip us. We thank you for those promises and we pray for a holy boldness to do what you're calling us to do. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let's ask God to guide us as he guided the people of Israel. Guide me, O my great Redeemer. It's number 43 in the Lift Up Your Hearts. We'll sing the three stanzas. Would you stand as we sing together? <laughs>